Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. Today, we're actually going to have the first of what's going to be two interviews with our guest, Greg Nance. Greg is a CEO and an ultra marathoner, and I felt like it would be a lot more appropriate to cover those two different topics in different interviews, and I'm really excited about the information, the content he has to share with us. Joining me today in the studio are my friends and fellow leaders, Thomas Tubby, Parker Batista, and Maria Hardiman. But before we get to the opening question for the day, I wanted to take a second to read a review that a listener left for the podcast. Thank you for all of you who do leave reviews for the podcast. It's a great way to encourage potential listeners, people who maybe run across the podcast somewhere, to see what others have to say and to gauge whether or not it's something that's valuable for them. 601 Hoosier says, love this podcast. I have found challenging, thought-provoking advice in every episode. Looking forward to continuing to listen every Saturday. So thank you to 601 Hoosier. If you have found this podcast to be valuable, please consider leaving a review for the podcast. It will be very helpful for future listeners. So thank you for considering that. Well, the intro question for today, the discussion question that I want to begin with is, was there ever a time in your life where you kind of put it all on the line and it ended up turning out really well for you? So Thomas, you have anything like that? Yeah, so my example is my sophomore year in college, I wasn't very experienced in leadership. I hadn't taken on any roles that really required me to get out of my comfort zone. And I was presented with the opportunity to be uh, an RA in the dorm that I was living in, and a spot opened up in the middle of the semester. And at first, I was very nervous about the opportunity. Like I said, I never had a leadership position before. So I was like, well, will I have the qualities that a leader needs to lead a whole floor of people um, to deal with conflict that comes up between roommates and that sort of thing. And uh, after praying about it for a while, I finally just felt led that this is something I should do. And it ended up being a great thing, uh, stepping out of my comfort zone, because I got really practical experiences, like I said, with dealing with conflict. Uh, I had to manage my time better, which was something I didn't really know how to do at the time. Absolutely. Uh, Balance between, you know, uh, work responsibilities and school responsibilities and just getting good practical experience uh, for life, like interview skills and uh, working in a group. So it ended up being a really good result. Parker, how about you? Yeah, sure. I think a great recent example for the comfort zone question was recently, uh, about two weeks ago, proposed to my girlfriend. Uh, I felt like it was the right time, right place, right person, but given my past of divorce and a lot of craziness with family, uh, caused a lot of anxiety and had to work through some stuff as far as, am I ready for this? Do I have what it takes? Uh, really got out of my comfort zone, but as a result of that, uh, really experienced some victory in that and exposed some things and found some things out and obviously uh, came out with a much better result and engaged to a great girl on the, mm-hmm. on the back end of that. Congratulations. 
Maria? That's awesome. Yes, my example is that I, several years ago, wouldn't have considered myself a detail-oriented person, and I was given the opportunity to plan a whole spiritual retreat, and that made me very nervous because I thought, I am not your girl for that. But the Lord really gave me an invitation to to better myself in that way. So it was way out of my comfort zone to have to plan all of those details and and really bear the weight of the responsibility of having complete follow-through with planning that that event well. So I grew a lot from that. And I can say I really am a more excellent person because of that and a little bit more detail oriented. That's awesome. Well, our guest today, Greg Nance, has definitely done a lot in his lifetime so far. Take a listen in this interview uh, and see some of the risks, some of the steps he's taken and how he's been rewarded for that, because there's a lot we have to learn from his example. Greg is working to expand education access. He is the CEO of Dyad.com, which is a mentorship platform that's helped students earn over $27 million in scholarships. He's also the chairman of MoneyThink, which is a nonprofit providing teens in 30 cities with financial capability mentorship to boost college success. His work has been recognized by President Obama, the Harvard Business Review, and the World Economic Forum. Greg has been a Gates Scholar at Cambridge University and a Truman Scholar at the University of Chicago. He loves endurance challenges and has solo climbed Mont Blanc. He's swam across the Nile River and run 250 kilometers through the Gobi Desert. In February, he completed the World Marathon Challenge, where he ran seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. And if you weren't listening, let me repeat it again. The World Marathon Challenge, which he just completed, he ran seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. That's incredible. Uh, and he did this to help at-risk students overcome the financial barriers to college. So with that, let's take a listen to what Greg has to say today. Welcome to the podcast. Josh, thank you. Excited to be here. We're actually going to have two interviews with you uh, this week and next week because there are a whole lot of things that we have to cover. I think there's a lot of great insight that you have to provide to the listeners. This week, we're going to be focusing on your leadership in your business ventures and just general organizational leadership. But before we get to that, I wanted to take a second to ask you about the World Marathon Challenge. It's an incredible thing that you just finished. And I just wanted to ask you how it feels to have completed something that monumental. Uh, yeah. So uh, thank you for the question. And th thank you for this opportunity. I'm really excited. Um, I just finished the World Marathon Challenge just last week and uh, ran seven marathons in seven days on seven continents, beginning in Antarctica, up to Cape Town, over to Perth, up to Dubai, over to Madrid, down to Santiago, Chile, and then up to Miami, where we finished. And uh, I feel uh, amazing, man. It's, it, it was so difficult. It was harder than I thought it would be with a lot of challenges on the way, including a stomach bug that I had to run through, quad cramps. And because it was so difficult, because it was so challenging, it's all the sweeter. Um, I was literally soaked with champagne at the finish line. My parents are there. 20 folks from Wentworth, my sponsor, are there hugging me. And it, uh, it was just a special moment that will uh, be, you know, be in my memories forever. So I, I feel amazing about it. I only know it's real because my quads are still so sore. So there are a lot of other questions I want to ask you about that in particular. But next week, we're actually going to be taking some time to talk about your endurance challenges and other adventures that you've taken part in. Today, I wanted to focus on your leadership in 
your business ventures, the things you've decided to do as far as starting organizations and things like that. So first of all, you're living in Shanghai right now. Uh, what was the path that brought you from the U.S. to China? Yeah, I、uh, so I'm a curious guy, and from the time I can remember, I've been fascinated with、uh, with China and, and Asia more broadly. I'm I'm from a place called Bainbridge Island off the coast of Seattle, and growing up there, you know, you're swimming、uh, during the summer. You look up, and there are these big ships heading into the port of Seattle, and ask Dad, "Hey, what are those? Those are big ships. Those are big boats from China." And I remember him pointing out on the map on our globe. Where China was, and, and you know, from a very young age, just fascinated, curious about it. In high school, my favorite debate topics were around China's economy, China's development, the Beijing Olympics, all this. And then in、uh, university, I studied foreign policy, learning more about、uh, China's rise and how the U.S. and China can work productively together. And it was only during business school that I basically started cooking up some ideas. And realize, wow, there is a huge opportunity in China to reform a lot of education practices. Where previously, tons and tons of kind of academic fraud in the market, tons and tons, a huge achievement gap between those with lots of money, those with less money.、Uh, and, and I wanted to do something about both those challenges. Create a, a really high quality, academically honest service to help students from middle class and working class families apply successfully to American universities. And earn scholarships to do so, so that you're able to find more meriting students、um, for that opportunity. And saw the business opportunity, was really fascinated with China, and realized, look, I can go actually live in China, work on this, learn a lot, travel a lot, see a lot,、uh, and hopefully grow a lot as a person. And that was the aim. That was back in 2012. So it's, it's been、um, you know six plus years since I made the jump, and it's been just a life, you know, just a life changing experience in so many ways. And so that is the.、Uh... Short story behind the creation of your current business, which is Dia dot com, right? That is correct, Dia dot com. So, in, in the simplest way, if you were to explain to someone on the street who just says, "Hey, what do you do?" How would you explain Dia dot com to them in in two or three sentences? Yeah, I, I would describe us as a mentorship platform that connects really talented, motivated young people with mentors, with experts. From their target university to guide them step by step by step through the admissions process and the scholarship application to help them achieve their dreams. So, in recent weeks, we've talked about the importance of mentorship on this podcast. How is it that you go about finding mentors to work with Dia.com? Yeah, it's it's a, a big challenge, and it's really what sets us apart from a lot of other folks doing something similar.、Uh, it began with friends of mine from kind of high school debate circles, from university, from business school, from a couple of the scholarship networks I'm a part of, and then something amazing happens when you provide a great experience. When mentors have a, a wonderful time working with young people, they tell their friends, they tell their colleagues, and before you know it, you have more mentors kind of knocking on the door. Then you're able to actually deploy, and so we now have a really competitive process whereby、uh, only about 17% of those seeking to mentor with us will、uh, will kind of find an opportunity, and and that's、uh, really really amazing, and it, it's it shows、uh, the excitement that folks have to to give back, and we're really proud to offer an awesome opportunity. So, how many of these mentors are actually based in Shanghai or based in China? Actually, very, very few. So, it, it's digital mentorship. It actually all happens over Zoom, video, and through Dia.com, our web platform. So, I think two of our mentors are Shanghai-based. You know, another one or two throughout the rest of China, and then the vast majority in the United States. 
So you are based in Shanghai. How has the culture and the language influenced your leadership and your ability to do business in a, a very different context than at least what you grew up in? Yeah, it, so it's a massive uh, it's a massive challenge. I mean, you you've got to figure out how to localize effectively. And for me, I will never be Chinese. No matter how strong my Mandarin gets, I will never be Chinese. And so that that has been oh you know an aha moment whereby we've hired an incredible team of local leaders. And so that, that, that kind of obstacle has become a big opportunity to effectively build out a great leadership team of elite local talent, and then empower these folks to actually make a ton of, uh, the decisions and then execute our strategy day to day to day. So, uh, yeah, China is a very different culture, very different kind of historical legacy and to be effective here or in any market, you know, different than, uh, than where you grew up, you've got to find a way to localize effectively and, and really give the market what the markets, uh, uh, what, what they're seeking. And the best way to do so, in my view, is to hire elite local talent. So are they mainly focused on operations and things like that? It, it's it's kind of everything. So like ranging from operations to sales to marketing to actually sort of engineering and product administration. So across the board, we have really, really talented local contributors. So you're also the co-founder and chairman of a nonprofit based in the U.S. called MoneyThink. What is the difference between MoneyThink and Dyad.com? Because they're both focused on education access in some way. How are how are these two organizations different from each other? MoneyThink actually came first. I was a uh, sophomore in college, had a big idea with a couple of my buddies, and we started cranking on, started growing it as we go. And uh, they're both, as you point out, similarly oriented. We actually have a similar mission. We want to expand education access and opportunities through mentorship. Uh, we, have a, we have a different model. So number one, MoneyThink is actually an NGO. It's a not-for-profit organization. It is SMS, like uh, text-based financial coaching okay. for at-risk students in inner city and rural communities in the United States. Um, and we're uh, very, very domestically oriented, helping students find affordable college matches so that students basically can avoid uh, the dangers of racking up a ton of debt and then having to drop out of college midway through because they can no longer afford it. And that happens way too often, especially to students from at-risk communities in urban and rural environments. So uh, that's uh, the orientation around money think, whereas Dyad, we're a little bit more internationally uh, oriented, though it's still around education access. So I think anyone who has to pay for college, whether you're a student or a parent, you realize that college is expensive. What does the coaching look like to help people be able to find affordable access to higher education? Yeah, so we've actually, uh, our model over the last 10 plus years has evolved a lot. So we began with teaching, you know, saving, budgeting, goal setting. So a very holistic approach, which was effective. We've actually zoomed in even further. We've realized the critical place that sets from failure to success is around the FAFSA. Uh, many of us who have applied to college remember the pain and the difficulty of the FAFSA. It's even harder if you're from a non-traditional family background, if you have just a single parent or if you have a uh, uh, you know particular issues with parents who've been in and out of incarceration or you've had challenges with parents who may or may not be fully documented or, or are able to pay taxes as they go. So for a non-traditional student background, the FAFSA is very, very difficult. In fact, it's, it's a series of riddles uh, as you go. And so our intervention actually focuses on helping you step by step by step through that FAFSA application. Because basically, if you can turn in the FAFSA fully completed and accurate 
accurately, you are now eligible for millions of dollars worth of grants, scholarships, and financial aid that if you don't fill out the FAFSA, you are completely ineligible for that and you cannot access any of those funds. And so we found if we can do that successfully, you can actually get a scholarship, grants, aids, and loans for college that otherwise you wouldn't have access to. And so that's where we really, really focus in. That's really the crux of our model. And the beauty is it's a very leveraged point. So if you're able to succeed there, you're going to help someone with a life-changing opportunity. It's amazing how big of a difference there is between success and potentially failure with such a seemingly small thing. That's that's incredible. Totally. Totally. So are you able to pinpoint what caused this passion for helping people in their educational journey? Uh, it seems like everything you're doing to some degree is focused on that. What was it that started this passion in you that has really defined a lot of your professional years? Yeah. So I think we've got to rewind the tape. My uh, grandma, um, who's in Natchez, Mississippi, taught English for uh, nearly 50 years. My mom has worked both as a social worker and as a para pro with special ed students. And uh, so kind of education is in the blood uh, for me. Though when I was growing up, you know, I'm from a place, Bainbridge Island. It's a wonderful community, great teachers, great community, great coaches, great pastors. And yet when you're growing up, sometimes you all you know is your, your hometown, your community. And so you take a lot of that for granted, as did I. Sure. Only yeah. when I went to the University of Chicago, south side of Chicago, which there's a lot of difficult you know, challenges there. There's a lot of really pretty rough neighborhoods nearby. As a runner, uh, I, had a, I had a kind of an epiphany, I had an aha moment running. I saw three students on a street corner about my age, but instead of being in class or, you know, working, they're drinking malt liquor out of brown paper bags, and it's pretty clear they're, they're dealing drugs. They're on the street corner. And, and I had a moment running back to campus. You know, how did those guys end up there and I ended up here? And really, in so many ways, it's because I was born in the 98110 zip code on Bainbridge Island. And those guys were born in the 60637 zip code on the south side of Chicago. And uh, that's the biggest difference between us because, uh, you know, I won the lottery of birth. These guys had a much more challenging set of circumstances. And that sparked in me uh, an idea which said, look, I can do something about that. I can actually help folks that maybe weren't born with all the, the good fortune I had. I can help them achieve the best education that they can, which opens up so many opportunities, opens up so many doors for these guys. And that uh, that began the mission. And, you know, that was back in uh, September 2008. And uh, my life changed forever. Uh, I had just come out of a Merrill Lynch internship during the heart of the credit crisis. Wow. And after working on Wall Street, realized, look, that's not what I want to do. You know, there are some great people working in finance and all. And I learned a ton from these folks, particularly my bosses, um, Joe and Matt, uh, incredible guys. But I wanted to apply the skills, the lessons and the network I was building to address social challenges, particularly in education. And that uh, that began the journey. And, you know, 10 plus years later, I'm uh, I'm just getting started, man. I've got so many ideas and energy. I work with amazing people. And there's such a big global challenge around the world and in the United States. And I've got a lot of energy and enthusiasm to solve these problems. Were there any other catalysts along the way? Because you said, you know, 10 years later, here you are. Were there any other things along the way that helped you in the development of these organizations, whether it's in the ideas or just the pragmatic aspects of them, anything that kind of pushed you along the way to help you to be more effective in what you're doing? Oh man, so many, so many. I, uh, 
you know, I'm a big believer that best team wins. You've got to put together the very best group of people to, to make an impact. And you know, I can point to one of my co-founders at MoneyThink, a fellow named Shashin Chakshi, who's, uh, he's from Florida, went to school with me in Chicago. And, uh, you know, he, you know, maybe I've got, you know, some of the big idea or I've got some of the, the big vision. This guy is the dude who understands how to take that big vision, how to build it step by step by step by step. You know, he's the dude who's able to figure out where the bricks go to build the cathedral. And working with him, I learned so much about operations. I learned so much about organizational design and detail and product and how really you create a great experience. So, you know, working with amazing collaborators over 10 plus years has been vitally important. Nothing I've ever done would be possible without you know, the collaborators that I've worked with along the way. I'm also obsessed with doing the best we can for our customers, for our users hmm. and for the students we serve. And so, you know, one student in particular, one of the first students I taught back in the early days of money, think a guy named Ryan Greenlaw from the uh, South side of Chicago. Ryan was kind of the, you know, the smart ass in the back of the classroom, always cracking jokes, always had a big smile on his face, big time, natural leader, smart, clever, clever dude. And he had awesome ideas, awesome feedback, awesome insight about how we can make the money think program better. And so many good ideas. In fact, that he, uh, you know, after he gets into school on a scholarship to Swarthmore, a, a really top notch program in Philadelphia, he, uh, he becomes a mentor himself. He starts working uh, with local youth in Philadelphia, then local, then youth in LA and Chicago. And actually we end up hiring him at MoneyThink to, wow. to help us build out programs as we go. And I love doing that. So actually one of my uh, core ideas is look, get ideas, get feedback from your users, from your customers, and then actually bring them on board. So at Diet HQ here, we've hired several of our uh, happiest most proactive customers that now do sales, that now do operations for us, that give us great feedback, great insight. And we've done the same thing at MoneyThink. So um, there are too many folks to individually credit along the 10 plus years, but surround yourself with great people and great things happen. Obviously, you don't know the future, but do you see dyad.com as a primary focus for the long term or are there other things that you want to do in the future? I am, uh, you know, part of my personality, I am relentless. I am always thinking about how I can you know, do the work at, at the, the next level, at the biggest level I can. And so, um, you know, I've got an itch. I've got an itch to make the biggest impact I can in the short number of years that I'm given on this planet. And in, uh, uh, in that vein, I think that the, my biggest strength as a leader is actually bringing great people together around a, um, a bold vision, try to build out a really clear and compelling mission, and then put together a founding team, get resources through the door, and I think that's one of my special advantages um, as a leader, and that's one thing that I can really uh, uh, I can really bring. So um, I think in my life I'd like to start several organizations. I'd like to bring great folks together to build it, and then actually pass the uh, pass the reins, pass the torch to really effective local leadership that's able to take it forward. So I've, I've worked as CEO of Diad for six plus years now, uh, and it's been an amazing learning opportunity. Although I also have so many ideas that I want to work on and I want to bring great folks together, build great teams to, to develop it. So I, I, I don't know what the future holds, but I do hope that I'm able to make an impact across you know many communities uh, and help as many students as I can. From your leadership so far, are there any recommendations you would give to the listeners as to how to develop that talent and that expertise so that whenever you or other leaders leave, there are people to uh, confidently take over and continue and maybe even improve on what's already been done? My advice to, to folks already in a leadership role is be very, very intentional 
about your leadership pipeline. So challenge folks that you're working toward to level up and give them a little bit extra latitude and extra belief. Because I think when you show confidence in someone and you set a high bar for them, they rise to the occasion. I've seen that dozens, hundreds of times uh, in my career already. And so that'd be my advice for uh, current leaders. For those starting out on their journey, start where you are today. Start before you feel ready. Look for opportunities to step up. Look for ways to take on more responsibility. Titles are dramatically overrated. You don't need a fancy title to take on a project to, to lead it effectively and to make a positive impact. And in fact, you can do that in your business career. You can do that with community service. You can do that with student projects. Uh, extracurriculars in your university, wherever you are, you can get started with where you are today. And guess what? The skills that you learn in public service, the skills you learn as an extracurricular leader in high school or in college, that stuff directly relates to how you can make an impact in business and in leadership. I know that firsthand because that's where I learned my leadership. I, I was, you know, high school debate captain. I was uh, a captain on my, my baseball and track teams growing up. And those skills at a very, very young age, directly applicable to working with folks on complex business challenges years later. So start where you are today and focus on personal daily improvements on being a great team player. And over time, you'll get more responsibility. Your title, your salary, all that will match in time. But focus on yourself first and great things happen. So you obviously have incredible focus and drive. You mentioned being relentless a second ago, and you've also talked a little bit about how some people have influenced your life. A lot of these personality traits and this drive that you have, did you learn that from coaches and mentors, or has a lot of that always just been a natural part of your life? Yeah, I think uh, it's been both. So I, you know, part, I have a big sister who is an incredible, incredible athlete. She, uh, um, four years older than me, and I remember watching her fill up her wall back at home, her bedroom wall, with little jump roping ribbons from competitions. And literally, it started with one, two, three, then 10, then 20, then 50, 100 ribbons from these national competitions. And when you see your big sister work really, really hard and then get this amazing you know, series of recognitions and rewards and, and awards as she goes – it, it was incredible, and that was a massive inspiration from me from the time I was quite young, and uh, that helped me uh, with my drive because I realized, look, you got to work hard. You got to be dogged, doggedly determined to make this stuff happen, just like Big Sister, just like Jessica, and uh, that was part of it. I also learned from coaches uh, in sport and coaches in debate how important that was to really focus uh, your time, attention, efforts to uh, to make it happen as you go, and so that's been uh, – uh, yeah, so part of that is probably inborn. Part of that's probably just who I am, how I'm wired. But a lot of that was learned at a young age, and you know, so many inspirations along the way to keep, uh, you know, to dream big and then to work hard to make it happen. And that's been, you know, a teaching my parents gave me from really the time I can remember. So you've been given uh, an incredible opportunity just through how you were raised, the mentors you had, the coaches you had, even the siblings you had, but. To some degree, you have that, that personal responsibility. You are in charge of your personal growth. So what have you found to be the most helpful things for maintaining and growing your focus and drive when you don't necessarily have the external factors at play in your life quite as much as you maybe did when you were growing up? Yeah, so I think part of it is a focus on personal development, personal learning. My, my granddad 
who, uh, you know, he had to stop his education after 10th grade to go work in a rock quarry to support his family during the Great Depression, then served in the Marine Corps. He, um, incredible influence and inspiration for me. He was one of the most well-read and actually best educated folks around, even though he only had a 10th grade education. And that has really rubbed off on me. You know, I've finished my formal schooling when I was 23 with business school. And since then, I've, you know, I've been reading, uh, aim for a book a week as I go. And I'm reading a lot about business and leadership, spirituality, history, just to keep, you know, building myself, to keep uh, developing myself, keep learning as I go and as I grow. Uh, and surrounding yourself with people that have a similar conception, that are always trying to get better and better and better, yeah. that's how you grow. And so if you are in an environment where you feel like you're stagnating or the people around you aren't focused on their own growth, it's going to make it really, really hard for you to rise above that. And so my encouragement is seek environments where you're growing as much as you can. Focus on the who not the what, so that you're with great people that really prioritize developing themselves and then developing you and working on a big mission that inspires you. That's how I think uh, you can continue growing as long as you love. Any recommendations on when you realize that you're around people who aren't as interested in growing as you are? Any recommendations on how to seek those people out? Yeah, so one uh, one thing I'm a big believer in is luck surface area, okay. where uh, you can basically give yourself a chance to get lucky. And, and I'll, I'll give you a couple quick uh, couple of quick stories here. One, I'm in airport security like eight nine years ago, coming back from a, from a trip, and I see a fellow in front of me in line, and he has a little Israel flag on his backpack. Hmm. And uh, I basically introduced myself, say, hey, it's nice to meet another you know another advocate for Israel. We start talking and we basically become fast friends there. And he asked me what my connection to Israel is. And I mentioned, hey, I just did a trip there with a group called APAC. He asked how the trip was. Oh, it was awesome. He smiles. Says, well, I'm glad to hear that because I'm the chairman of APAC. Wow. Um, and, you know, I've got to just uh, my, my kind of jaw drops. I've got a big smile. Well, the World Marathon Challenge finish line last week. This fellow, the chairman APAC, he flew down from Chicago to be with me in Miami to celebrate wow, that's that. Incredible. And so, and, and so you, you never know when you, you say hello, you introduce yourself. He's been an incredible mentor, you know, incredible businessman, incredible public servant, and a uh, you know someone that just lives his values. That I, I just so deeply admire. Um, Lee Rosenberg is his name, and boy, it's uh, that's been a life changing you know mentor in my life, and. It's because I said hello in airport security. And my, my recommendation to folks, if you feel like you, you don't have as much great folks in your life yet, is keep working on yourself and put yourself out there. Say hello when you're in line for that cup of coffee or you're at that restaurant or when you're at that grocery store. Because there are great folks out there. And after you introduce yourself, you get to talk. And if you like somebody, follow up, get their contact information, get, get a cell phone number, get an email, and then ask them, hey, I'd love to grab lunch. I'd love to grab coffee. It's really that follow up and the continuation where you build the relationship sure. and you can inspire each other as you go. That's awesome. Uh, so you've done quite a bit in your life up to this point. And uh, in addition to the, the tips you were just giving us, do you have any recommendations for young leaders out there who are trying to decide whether or not to take that next big step to do something big, different, out of the ordinary? Yeah. So before you take that step, if you're anything like me, you're going to feel uh, a little bit of intimidation or you're going to feel a little bit of hesitation because those biggest steps we know there's a risk of failure. We know there's a risk of disappointment. What, what I'm here to say is that risk is actually much, much lower than you realize because the cost of failure, the cost of setbacks, the cost of disappointment, 
really it's it's learning. Uh, I remember learning that lesson when I struck out in baseball when I was six years old. I was about ready to cry. I felt so sad and you know mad at myself. I look up in the stands, and mom and dad are there saying, "Hey, grab your glove. Let's go play defense." Hmm. Um, and that's my mentality with all this stuff. Like even when you do strike out, even when you do goof up. Go grab your glove. Go play defense. It's time for the next play. It's time for uh, the next chapter as you go. And so those folks thinking about taking that big step, do it. Take the leap. You're going to learn so much as you go forward. You are better prepared. You're closer to that goal than you realize, but only if you take the leap. Greg, thanks for sharing that. And that's my final question for the interview. But before you go, I have a few final questions that are uh, meant to inspire us toward becoming better leaders. So are you ready for these? Let's do it. All right. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? The, uh, the, the, the succinct phrase is best team wins. Build the best teams you can, join the best teams you can, and you're going to go far. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? A leader is determined, mission-driven, and self-sacrificing. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? A leader should ask others, how can I help? What book would you recommend to leaders? I would recommend How Can You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. And if you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would it be? I would encourage folks to build a morning routine whereby they're able to accomplish something of meaning for them, whether that's prayer or reading or goal setting or journaling. Building a ritual in the morning is a great way to build momentum for the day. And finally, we have an arbitrary but insightful question, which is, as a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I think it's better to ask why not and then to go for it. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Where can people go to find more about you and your work? It's absolutely my pleasure, Josh. Folks can connect on Instagram. My account is Greg Runs Far. Awesome. Well, Greg, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Absolutely my pleasure, Josh. Thank you. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share your own thoughts on what you heard today or leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's show could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. 
Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon, and until then, keep living and leading well.